Turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13. I have loved going through the book of Nehemiah. It's uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's the first book that I was discipled uh, with when I first became a Christian. And um, we've been going through this book for five months now. So uh, five months ago is uh, when uh, I moved over here. And I was just looking at my uh, Bible, and the book of Nehemiah is falling out. So I've got to get this thing rebound, uh, just spending so much time in Nehemiah. The title of the message is Rest, Marriage, and Worship. Rest, Marriage, and Worship. See, in, in Nehemiah, um, in chapter 13, one of the things that we found out is that Nehemiah had a, um, a hiatus. He went back to, to be serving um, under the king in Babylon because he was released for a period of time to come to Jerusalem. But during the time that Nehemiah was gone, it's like all hell broke loose. And, and I say that because it was uh, very much uh, a spiritual warfare where they weren't uh, following the things that God had called them to do. Uh, things just started going back to um, the way that it used to be, uh, compromise and, and sin and selfishness. And so by the time that Nehemiah gets back in chapter 13, one of the things that you see in verses 1 through 9 is that they stopped giving. They stopped tithing. Um, what happened was the, the priests and the Levites, they, they went back to secular vocations because the people were not giving. But we also find out, found out that part of it was because there was a, a tolerance of negligence. Um, those that were in positions of ministry, they abused that authority. They didn't follow God's laws. Uh, in fact, there was a guy named Tobiah that he was, he was given a room in the temple. So just imagine if someone is an enemy of God and, and just really trying to attack the people of God, even threatened to kill Nehemiah. And Nehemiah comes back and this guy has a room in the temple, the place of worship. And so Nehemiah, he has the, the guy thrown out and uh, it says that Nehemiah became very upset. He was very angry, not just little anger, but very angry. So much so that he starts to throw the guy's furniture out. And there was a physical throwing of that furniture out of the, the temple. Remember that the Bible says to be angry and do not sin. That's, that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard to be angry and not sin. It depends on what am I angry about. Am I angry because someone cut me off in traffic? Uh, or am I angry because there's something that is dangerous or something that's going to cause harm? And then how we deal with that anger, it makes all the difference as well. So when Nehemiah did these things, he, he uh, assigned supervisors who were going to be faithful. The people started to give again. Um, he put people of excellent reputation in positions of leadership. And then Nehemiah in verse 14 says, Remember this good deed, O oh my God, and do not forget all that I have done faithfully uh, for the temple of my God and its services. And in a sense, what Nehemiah is doing, he's praying for lasting fruit. He's praying for God's guidance also. When he's saying, God, remember me, in a sense, it's saying, God, um, when, when you remember me, hear these prayers. And, and I want to do things that, that make a difference for eternity. I want to do things that last. I don't want to just, and I'm not saying that everything that we do has eternal significance, like which parking lot stall am I going to choose? Because, uh, you know, that's eternal. I mean, it could, right? If you hit someone or if uh, there's someone to witness to or whatever. But, but I'm saying that the things that we give our lives to, we really, really want our lives to count. Um, on Friday, I did uh, the funeral for... Uh, a friend of ours, her, her name was Marianne, and uh, today uh, she would have been 55 years old today. Um, she, she died of cancer, and uh, she was from the church in Gilroy, um, and it was a, it, it was a celebration. It was, it was a, a packed place because she had such an influence on other people. Um, she had come to Christ just a couple of years ago, and uh, if you were at the Beach baptism, maybe two years ago, you know how a lot of our churches got together, then you probably saw her got baptized, get baptized back then. And anyway, um, the thing that I brought away from that is how it's so important for us to live our lives backwards, to think, if this is how I want to end, then how do I live today so that the end looks like this? You know, one of the things that I shared at her funeral is that Marianne, she, she preached her own funeral by how she lived. Um, it's, it's her life. And so 
one of the things that Nehemiah does, and you're going to see this refrain throughout chapter 13, is he does something, but as soon as he does it, he comes back to prayer. And he says, God, please remember me. Just remember this thing that I've done. I, I think he wants those things to count. He wants those things to last. But the next thing that happens is that there was a tolerance of breaking God's laws, and one of them was the Sabbath. And I want you to read with me in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. It says, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine and grapes, figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them, about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre and, and dwelt there also, and they brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. What's the big deal, right? So someone has a swap meet on a Sunday or their Sabbath, which was Saturday. They're, they're selling things. And why is this such a big deal? Well, Understanding in the Old Testament, God's law was given to them. And, and we're going to go a little bit more in depth in, in the, the verses that come after this. But that time of rest, that time of uh, just stopping and ceasing from work, was a time that uh, the, the Jews, the Hebrew people, were to honor God. And one of the challenges in doing that, in resting, in trusting God and drawing near to Him, was imagine this, imagine on the Sabbath day, you're a Jewish farmer and you bring all of these goods to the marketplace and people come and they buy and, and that's your livelihood, that supports your family. But you're a, a good uh, believer and you follow God's law. So on that Sabbath day, you don't sell anything. But then you see these other people from other countries coming in and they start selling their stuff. And then you see some of your own people, some of the Hebrew people, on that Sabbath day, they start selling their things. And you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, those guys are getting ahead of me. See, on this day, I'm not selling anything. And those guys are selling something. And if I want to compete with them in business, I better start selling things on this day also. And what it was, it was a challenge, um, not only to their obedience, but their trust that God would be their provider. Now, that's really applicable to us as well. Because there are times in our lives when we think, I'm the provider. Now, that's true. We have to work. Um, we have to provide. It says that uh, for, for those that don't provide for their own household, um, that they're um, worse than, than being an unbeliever. That's an unbelieving attitude because God has called us to provide for our, our household. And yet, what was happening is that they started to trust in themselves. And then they started to get greedy. And they started to try to get ahead. And as they started to do this, it became acceptable. Now, again, I'm not condemning anything. We're not under the, the law here. And, and also in, in America, I just think that, um, you know, we're, we're definitely a secular society. But I remember growing up that stores were closed on Sundays. I, this, is, this is what I really remember. I mean, there were some stores that were always open, but a lot of stores were closed on Sundays. There were no sports on Sundays. I mean, you had NFL. That was always on Sundays. But I'm talking about little kids. When I was a little kid, Little League Baseball, there was Sundays was just a day with family. Everyone was together. And I just find that like there's this infringement upon these, these Sundays and these times of gathering together so that it, it's so difficult for us sometimes to make that time to be together to worship God as a community. Now, again, it's not a legalistic thing. We're going to get into that in a moment. But the thing that, that it really speaks to is, is priority. Do I set time apart specifically to draw near to the Lord, to worship God, to be in community with God's people? There's a ministry called uh, Life Church uh, out in Oklahoma, lifechurch.tv. Uh, they make the YouVersion Bible. How many of you use the YouVersion Bible? Awesome, right? It is, it is great. I use my iPad. Um, they have all these versions, and you have reading plans, and it, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and, and I like what they're trying to do. What they try to do is they're trying to reach people that don't go to church, the unchurched. 
And so they have this thing called lifechurch.tv and people can log on and there's a live service and it says when it's starting. And so there's people all over the world really that are logging in at the same time, which is a great thing from time to time. But I'll tell you that that lacks the community of being together with God's people. You know what that lacks? It, It lacks interpersonal relationship. See, if church and gathering together the the ecclesia, which we're going to have a, a meeting about that, if it's only about what I get, hey, I, I could I could tailor that to whatever I feel like. I, I could watch TV, you know, I could listen on the radio, and there's nothing wrong with those things from time to time. But if I am not in connection with God's people locally, in community, then then what about the part where I give? What about the part where I serve? What about the part where we fellowship and we get to know each other? So the Sabbath was was something that God had instituted that his people would do things a little bit differently. In verse 17, Nehemiah says, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah, and I said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? And the word profane, it means to, to make common or ordinary. We think of profanity as vulgar talk or things like that, but, but there was holy, which was things that are set apart for God, and profane, which was, was common. And he said, you're making this day just like any other day. There's no special um, sense of worship or gathering on on this day. And and he really talks to the leadership because they were the ones that were leading. They allowed people to do these things. And in verse 18, did not your fathers do thus? And, And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Now, if you go back into the time before Nehemiah was coming back, remember that Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls. But why did they get broken down in the first place? Because God's people didn't obey God. And God said, okay, if you're not going to obey me, I'm giving you a lot of time. I'm giving you a lot of warning. But if you're not going to do things my way, it's going to lead to your own self-destruction. And then enemies came in and they attacked Israel. And the important thing about that is that Nehemiah is reminding them of their history. This morning, think about your history. What things, what destructive, sinful patterns in your life um, brought destruction in your life? What things have brought depression? What things have you allowed in in your past that, that hurt other people? And yet, sometimes we forget our history. And we have this, this sense like in the book of Judges where we repeat the same cycle. We could do the same things and forget the consequences, forget how difficult it was, forget what led us to that point of calling out to God in the first place. And so he reminds them of this. And then in verse 19, And so it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. And listen to these words, commanded, not suggested. Um, I, I commanded the gates to be shut, I charged that they must not. So it's not like, hey, you know what? It might not be a good idea if you guys do this. Um, Nehemiah was not afraid of confrontation, was he? Uh, Nehemiah, during this, this time, listened to the words, I charged that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares, they lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And then I warned them. Notice his words again, I'm warning you. And I said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And he doesn't mean he's, he's Pentecostal and, and he's, he's going to do that kind of... I mean, we lay hands on people. God calls us to do that in the book of James. But he's not saying that, that I'm going to pray for you. He's saying, I will lay my hands on you. If you come back here again, now, I don't know about you, I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is awesome. You know, he's like uh, this, this cool guy. I mean, he's a hero to me. He's doing the things that God's called him to do. And yet, as he does these things, sometimes his, his personality comes out. And you know, God has called, I mean, God has created some of us with a fiery personality. Um, I was watching an interview with Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh. And there's two brothers, and I'm listening to them. It was really cool. They're banter back and forth. And by the way, um, I posted on, on my Facebook wall this, this incredible interview of John Harbaugh about faith. And, and it's pretty cool. He's a, he's a Christian. Um, I don't know about Jim, but uh, John is. And, 
But anyway, I, I just look at this, this fiery, fierce competition that they have. And they ask them, where did you get that? You know what they said? From my mom, our mom, the most competitive person I've ever met. So some of us have that. You know, that's just, you're a competitive person by nature. Um, if that's the case, or, or if you're um, fiery with that personality, we have to be careful. Because it's easy to take a personality like that and cross that line when it comes to how we deal with other people. And so Nehemiah, he does these things, and, and what's recorded for us is just what he does. And I want you to notice that after he does that, he continues to come back with, remember me for this good, oh my God. And, and I think that part of that is sometimes saying, Lord, please help me to do what's right. Please help me to do what's right. Um, Nehemiah warned them that he would lay hands on them. He says, from that time on, no one came anymore on the Sabbath. I wonder why. Verse 22, I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Again, this sanctification, it's, it's this rest. That day is set apart. That day is holy. It's a special day. Now, we're not going to, you don't have to turn all over um, the Bible. I'm going to read some scriptures to you. If you want to turn there, you can. But the first one is in Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given. When the Ten Commandments are given, you, you know that uh, when God said, you know, you'll have no other false gods, you'll worship me only, and, and all of these things that God said, the first commandments are vertical. They have to deal with my relationship they have to deal with the, the Jewish people's relationship with God. Then when you go on to the next commandments, the last six commandments, that has to do with my horizontal relationships with others. So the first is the vertical, my relationship with God. The next is the horizontal, my relationship with others. If you were to group the Ten Commandments in the first ones that are relationship to God and the other ones that are relationship to others, where would the Sabbath fall? Your relationship to God, okay? Now, why is that important to God? Why is that something that is important that the Sabbath day is kept holy? And what does that mean for us today, not being those that are under Jewish law? Because the principle is still there in the Ten Commandments. These are moral commandments. These are worship commandments. Well, when it comes to the Sabbath day, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it holy. Now, there's some that debate, is it Saturday or is it Sunday today? Uh, the Christian church started to, to worship God and meet together on Sundays because it was the day of the resurrection. It changed the day that people would meet for worship. But you know what? It, it's not about Saturday versus Sunday. We're going to see that later on. Because some people, some of the rabbis, they, they just exaggerated and made these uh, commandments of God very burdensome so that they started to add to God's word, so that there were certain distances that they could walk, things they could lift, things they couldn't do. I remember um, one uh, young rabbi that was walking by Calvary Chapel San Jose when I was working there, and uh, he was on the road, and I, it was a hot day, and, and he, he came in, he said, could I have a drink of water? And so I said, sure, and I gave him a water bottle, and, and I said, do you want to come in out of the sun and sit down? And we had this discussion, we, we started to talk, and he just really started to open up, and he was sharing about uh, Yom Kippur coming up, and he was sharing about these things that he was doing. And so I started taking him to some scriptures in the Old Testament um, about um, the suffering servant in, in the book of Isaiah and some other places. Um, so as he was on his way, we had a great conversation, and, and I thanked him for being able just to talk to him, to kind of pick his brain. And he thanked me for being able to explain some things to him and how I see things in scripture as well. So I said, here, let me give you another bottle of water. He said, oh, no, I can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, because if I have two, then that's work. And this is, a, this is something I, I can't do. I'm, I'm getting ready for the Sabbath, and I don't want to work. So I don't want to carry two bottles of water. And so sometimes rabbis you know, would exaggerate the, the views of the Sabbath. 
But it's important for us to understand Jesus' example. In Jesus' example, he observed, uh, observed the Sabbath, but as he did that, he even rebuked the Pharisees, some of them, and the, some of the scribes, because they were putting heavy burdens on God's people. Now, that's not just a Jewish problem. That is a, a problem even within Christianity today. Because sometimes, as Christians, some Christians could put heavy burdens on other Christians. Well, you know what? You have to, you have to do all of these things for God to accept you. These are all the rules. Here's all the hoops to jump through. And I'm not saying that God doesn't have commandments, but I am saying that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. It's not something that, that a checklist is going to make us acceptable to God. And so they needed rest. And the rest of God is such an incredible thing. Um, we're going to look at that in a moment a little bit more. I wanted to share one more thing. If they needed the Sabbath back then, do you think we need the Sabbath today? Absolutely. 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 Um, what is one of the ways that uh, an enemy will try to jam communication in war? Sometimes they'll flood the airwaves, right, with misinformation, disinformation. Um, they, can't, they can't infiltrate, so they just start to jam the airwaves. And you know what I think for us as believers? That when we take time to Sabbath, to rest, to set time apart just to be rejuvenated, replenished, revived in our relationship with God, I believe that the enemy just kind of jams the airwaves of our, our minds with things. And you know one of the ways that he does that is this thing in my pocket. It's called a phone. That phone starts to buzz. And I could be in total rest, but when that thing goes, I wonder, hey, what is that? Sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's a text message, sometimes there's, there's something in, and we, we almost feel so tethered to technology today that we must be available 24-7, dialed in 24-7. Now we have the technology to do that, but God hasn't created us with that kind of bandwidth. He hasn't created us with um, the capacity to be available to all people at all times. We're not omnipresent. And so what happens is sometimes we just get jammed with this, uh, these signals and it's hard to hear from God. I just encourage you to take time alone and get away. Not only a quiet time, but sometimes a quiet place. Get rid of the, the phone. Ditch your you know, technology. Turn off the radio. Walk. Do you remember what that's like? Do you remember walking? Do you remember like the, we live in this beautiful county where there's trees and beaches and all these. Walk. Get outside and, and just spend time and, and listen and wait upon the Lord. You know, the best times is when God speaks to you, when you're just by yourself and you get quiet. And, and my mind, I'm kind of easily distracted. Sometimes when I go on vacation, it takes a couple of days to start the vacation. Because for the first couple of days, man, I'm just still thinking about things I didn't get done. And, and then, you know, the push to go on vacation, how hard that is to try to get that done before you go. And then when you get there, you can't just kind of settle. And, you know, that's just me. That's the way that I'm built and usually day two, my back that has been hurting, my shoulders that have been hurting, by day three, I just realize, hey, I, my back doesn't hurt anymore. That knot, it's gone. You know, that, that tension in my shoulders, it's gone. And God wanted his people to do this regularly. And it set that time apart to say, God, you are first. God, I'm going to listen to you. Now, in 2 Corinthians, in, in chapter 3, it talks about the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So we have to understand, it's not the letter of the law, but the spirit of this. And the spirit of it is that God wants this time set apart so we could worship him, so that we could rest, so that we could be rejuvenated, we could gather together with God's people. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that uh, there is a, a, a Sabbath rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, God rested, right? The word Sabbath is a word that, that literally means rest. And if God rested, let me ask you a question. When did he rest? Do you remember in Genesis in chapter 2? The seventh day. Okay, he rested. And... And then he says that he, um, he called that day holy. All right? He blessed it and he called it 
holy. Now, question, why did God rest? How, how did God create the world? What does it say? He spoke. You know, he spoke. Let there be like, what did that look like? I mean, just, I, I just, I, I love the, the story of creation in Genesis. What did that look like with light? You know, in the world. And then I just imagine trees and all these things bursting everywhere, mountains. And, and he created this, this world with, with age built into it. You know, the, the trees weren't seeds. There weren't seeds everywhere. There were trees. They weren't, uh, you know, eggs. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken, right? God created, he created the chickens, you know. He created these, man, just what did that look like? As God is doing all these things in creation. And yet he rested. Not because he was tired. You know, God didn't do heavy lifting for six days. And the seventh day, he was just exhausted. You know, he wanted to set us, first of all, an example. And secondly, it says that he, he blessed that day and he called it holy. Now, this is very important because in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Sometimes as a Christian, even as a pastor, even being a Christian for a lot of years, sometimes I just get into these work modes where I forget to rest in what God has done for me. Just to enjoy my relationship with him. And I get so busy in the work and, and sometimes guilt kind of sets in. If I miss, you know, I oversleep, I missed a quiet time or I haven't been spending enough time with God. And now it becomes like a requirement and the U version is great because I have this little checklist. The day is done. I've read my scriptures. It says day complete. You get your badge and it's kind of a fun thing. But man, when I'm behind and I start to look at some days that are missed, oh, I got I to gotta do more days. I got to do some speed reading. And so like, I just like try to read as fast as I can to catch up. And I'm, just, and I'm not retaining it. I'm not being blessed. I'm not meditating on it. I'm just trying to get it done. Just check it off the list so that I can feel better and say, hey, I did my devotions and you know what? That, that's missing the whole purpose of Sabbath. It's missing the whole purpose of quiet time. Missing the whole purpose of relationship with God. And so it is so important that, that Christ, while observing, observing the Sabbath, he set um, himself in action against um, this absurd rigorism that made it a legalistic thing and, and made people slaves to the Sabbath and made it burdensome. In fact, there were some times when out of necessity, um, there, Jesus would give an example, like if you had an ox, and the ox, that was your livelihood, right? That was like your truck. Construction guys, that's your truck. Your truck fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, you know? Which one of you would not call a tow truck to pull out the truck and, and get it? And he says, which one of you, you have an ox and it falls in a hole, aren't you going to save them on the Sabbath? And yet they were saying, no, you can't do any work, you can't bear any burdens. And so what God did, Jesus did, is he said, don't be absurd, there's sometimes out of necessity that you have to do something. Some of you in your workplaces, Sunday is a, a day of work. Now, I'm working. <laughs> it's, it's a work day. Sometimes there's, there's work that is required. You know, this afternoon, there's going to be some guys that are working out on that field, and hopefully the 49ers win, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm rooting for those guys that are working today. But you know what's really important is that there's times of pulling away and worshiping. There are times that we rest. It's not working seven days. Some people need to work. Some people, the message today is you need to Sabbath. Some people, the message today is you need to work. Like every day is a Sabbath day. All I do is rest. Yeah, I don't do anything. I just, I just rest. I take walks. I nap all day. It's just a beautiful thing. I enjoy God's presence. It's, you know, his beauty. And, and man, there's work also. And work is a blessing. For those of you that have been out of work, some of you are out of work right now. You know, we pray for you. We ask that God would provide. But work is a blessing. Remember that God gave Adam something to do before the fall. You know, I, I think about heaven, and I'm really glad that we're not just going to be like uh, chubby little angels with diapers and, you know, uh, playing harps on, on fluffy clouds, and that's not heaven. I mean, there's going to be some things to do that bring God glory that will be a blessing. We'll worship God, and, and I, just, I, I just think that, but when it comes to this work, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We need to work hard as unto the Lord, we need to do a good job. Um, if we are employees, then we are, we are really uh, not honoring God when we don't work hard, when we don't, um, we don't do a good job. If we're just trying to do enough to get by, 
so that no one notices and we can kind of do sloppy work, that's not honoring God. We're to be hard workers. We're to be good workers. We're to be honest workers, ethical workers. When we give someone a deal, we should know that it's a fair deal, that they're not being ripped off, that they know that they could trust us, that we're people of integrity. And yet, when it's time to rest, we could trust God. And we need to take those times to rest and know that God is going to take care of us. So when it comes to the Sabbath, where does our holiness come from? Working? Does our holiness come from doing good works? From being perfect? Does our holiness come from trying harder? Just a little bit more effort? No. Our holiness comes from resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. That's the gospel. It's that Jesus died for our sins. If Jesus didn't die for our sins, we better work. You know, and we better be perfect. Batting a thousand. Because the time we mess up, we're disqualified. And yet, Jesus has paid the penalty. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Not partially finished. Not almost finished. He said, it is finished. And because Jesus said it is finished, that's where... That's where our, our holiness comes from. It comes in resting in the Lord. So, uh, let's see here. Something happened to my thing. Um, the next thing, he says, Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also. Spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Now, we're going to close the book of Nehemiah by looking at this, consecrated marriages and relationships. Um, consecrated marriage and relationships. Read with me in verse 23. It says, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So let me explain this. In this restoration of marriage, there was an understanding that that marriage relationship was consecrated to the Lord. It was set apart for God. And I think it's important that we understand that when it comes to our relationships, um, our relationships are to be th- um, parts of our lives that we give God access to. I know a, a lot of times that, that Christians can say, you know, I give God access to these things in my life, these parts. But when it comes to relationships, off limits. That's when I make the rules and I decide what I'm going to do. See, what happened is, God in the Old Testament had told them, don't marry these uh, people from these other countries because what happened was these people were worshiping other gods. It, it wasn't an ethnic thing as, a, as much as it was a worship thing. They were taking God's people away from the things of God. And so in understanding that, in the context of this, um, it, it's important to see that when Nehemiah saw these things happening, he decided something has to be done. In verse 25, he said, So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, again, I, I personally love Nehemiah. Okay, it's a great book. I, I love it. He, he gets frustrated and angry, upset. Um, when you read Ezra... Ezra being a contemporary of Nehemiah, Ezra came first. And when Ezra started seeing people doing this and they started worshiping other gods and and they started to take God's people away, Ezra prayed, God, please don't let this happen. He started pulling out his own hair. Like, ah, Nehemiah saw it happening. He started pulling out their hair. Like, what are you doing? You know, getting them in headlocks and just ripping off beards and just, I I love Nehemiah. You know, just Nehemiah and Ezra, both called of God, both in their own unique personality. And yet it comes out here in Nehemiah. Um, and I want to share this. When I was a senior in high school, when, when I became a Christian, I started walking with the Lord in high school. Um, I, my sophomore year, between my sophomore and junior year, is when I went to youth group. Um, I, I went as a kid to Calvary Chapel, West Covina. It was just this kung fu studio um, at the time, and they started to grow as a church. And then I had a time where my brother moved out. My sisters got married. I'm the youngest, and so I was at home. It was just me and my mom. She raised me as a, a single-parent household. Um, and and uh, that time, I just was empty, and I just thought, man, I want to go back to church. So I got my driver's license. So I was 16 years old, 
went back to that church and I went to their youth group and I just, I was blown away. I went to this camp and uh, I actually invited my uh, best friend from childhood. His name is Javier. He was, uh, he was three and I was four when we met. We're still great friends today. He received Christ at that same retreat. And then we started inviting other friends and, and I had this group of classmates. They called us the 12 pack. It was kind of dumb. There were 12 of us. And uh, we were the 12-pack, oh, you know, a little click or something. But uh, So we had this, this group of guys. We just hung out together. And I was the first one to become a Christian in that group. And uh, they had a party. I was at a friend's house. And my friend Robert, they started playing this movie called Faces of Death. I don't know if you've heard of it or seen it. It's, it's terrible. It's actual footage of people dying. And they were drinking. They were laughing at it. And I just got sick to my stomach, and I walked out. I, couldn't, I could not watch it. And um, I, was, I was grieved that they were watching. I wanted them to turn it off. And so Robert came outside. He's like, hey, what's going on? I said, I, man, I, don't, I can't watch that. And he said, why? And I, I started to share how I had become a Christian, and I understood these people were going somewhere for eternity. I can't watch this. I don't, I, it, there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing light about people dying. And so he goes, you know, he goes, I, I feel bad too. And anyway, I started... Uh, he asked if I would take him to church. He goes, you going to that church this Sunday? I said, yeah. He goes, can you pick me up? And so I picked up Robert. And, and over a course of time, there were two of us that became Christians, my friend Eric, and then uh, another friend. And, and by the time I got to my senior year, there were 10 out of the 12 that were walking with the Lord. I was bringing them to church on Sunday, and, and we, were, we were just inviting friends. And the end of my senior year, something happened. It was kind of like the last hurrah. And the parties really started to kick up. And, and it, there was almost this fear of loneliness or this wanting to be with. So they got the bug. And by the bug, what I mean is that they, they just they wanted to be with someone. They wanted to be a boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and I started to see my friends just fall like flies. And I did, I've never seen anything so decimate a group in a youth group as I did unequal relationships where one person was walking with God and one person wasn't walking with God. And as this started to happen, um, it, it was this thing where the, this kind of guilt kind of set in. And, and I, I think it was so important for, for our, our youth pastor to share. And he, he did a great job of sharing the truth and God's word with them, but they just kind of went their own way and it grieved him. Now, the blessing is that a lot of them have come back to walking with the Lord. My friend Javier was one of them. And I was, I was just so sad. Just so sad when, when Javier stopped walking with God and just started getting into this life of partying and then in college and he joined the military. But he came back afterwards and it's so great. He's married, he's walking with the Lord now and, and his whole family is walking with the Lord. But it's important if you are single at whatever age, whether youth or whether adult, not to be unequally yoked. And, and a yoke was when they would take a, a Field and plow this field. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It doesn't mean not to be friends with unbelievers. We're to reach out to them and love them. But to be yoked means that, that there's this wooden thing on my neck or, or an oxen's neck. I've never had one on. but um, And then this other oxen, and they were, had to be yoked equally. If they were not yoked equally, then what would happen is they would start to plow and they would go. They would think they're going in a straight line, but you look back and, and they're going crooked. They wouldn't be able to plow evenly. In other words, all work would cease. And, and God tells us that that is important to him. I just think about, um, you know, going into this uh, relationship called marriage. I can't imagine what it would be like if Deanna and I couldn't pray together, couldn't raise our kids together. Now, I will also address, there are some of you that are married to someone that's not a believer. And in that case, God says, be be a faithful spouse, be a faithful husband, be a faithful wife, lead by example, pray for them. Don't argue over it, um, just, just continue to walk with the Lord. And that's a hard thing, it's a difficult thing. But if you are single, to be equally yoked, look for someone that is spiritually minded, the things of God. Look for someone that, that not only can you talk to, but, but you sense that they have the same the same DNA or values when it comes to walking with Christ. Um, not just the physical attraction. If, if, that, if that was all that, that it, you needed was the physical attraction, every Hollywood marriage would work. You know, they would work for 50 years, 60 years, and everything would be okay. So 
when, when Nehemiah sees this, he struck some of them, he pulled out their hair. And notice specifically, he made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take daughters for your sons. Nehemiah is angry at the parents. He's saying, parents, you need to lead by example. And sometimes maybe we made choices that were bad and we think about our lives. And so that kind of like, well, I can't say anything because I'd be a hypocrite. No, you know what? Share the mistakes and, and say, I know I've made some mistakes, but you should live in this way. And it's so important when it comes to these, these years um, that that is built into them, the role of parents. You know what? The role of older siblings. Maybe you think, well, I'm young. I'm not a parent. Are you an older brother? Are you an older sister? You have a huge influence on your siblings. Do you have some cousins? You have a big impact on your cousins. Are you an aunt? Are you an uncle? You know, sometimes there's aunts and uncles, there's grandparents, there's, and there's friends. We need to be a part of that. It's not everyone is on their own and that relationship is all individual. No, we're involved. And what Nehemiah does is he says, hey, don't allow this to happen. In verse 26, now when it gets individual, didn't Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Now Solomon, on Wednesday evenings, we're looking at God's wisdom. We're looking at the wisdom given to Solomon. And so uh, this Wednesday, chapter 2, chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs, if you need, um, maybe you're praying for God's will. It's a great time to come out. And yet Solomon turned away from God. It's one thing to be wise and to know things. It's another thing to be obedient. To obey is better than sacrifice. How do we worship God? We worship God by obeying him. We worship God by doing the things that he tells us to do. And then in verse 28, oh, one more thing I wanted to say about this. When Solomon's heart turned away from God, and again, how many people that you know, maybe, maybe you and your background have turned away from God during times of being, quote unquote, in love with someone. Um, it, it, sometimes I hear people say, well, as long as they're happy. As long as they're happy. It's all that counts, their happiness. Um, there's a book called Sacred Marriage, and it says, what if God's intention for marriage was to make you holy even more than to make you happy? Now, I don't think it's an either-and proposition. I'm glad that it's not. It's not holy or happy. Which one do I want to choose? Um, it, it could be both and, holy and happy. But it's important that when it comes to marriage, you know, one of the testimonies that was shared yesterday, which was just incredible, um, where, where a brother just shared that our sexuality belongs to God. Our relationships belong to God. That's not the area that we say, God, you are off limits and I do what I want in this area. No, when we look at it and we understand that God created us as, as beings physically, he created us with a purpose that in his sanctioned um, relationships, it's a good thing. Outside of that, it becomes an idol. Outside of that, it becomes self-serving. Then in verse 28, and one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Remember these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah? They, we get to this place where they're not only living there, but the priest's kids are marrying you know, into the, their family. And, and man, it's just it's out of control. And so Nehemiah, he drove him, get out, get out of here. <laughs> it drove him from me. And then in verse 29, Remember them. Now, I love this. Nehemiah, up to this point, has been saying, remember me. But he says, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Now, what was happening in Nehemiah's time? There was an attack on marriage. There was a, a saying, marriage is whatever I define it to be and whatever I want it to be, that will be marriage. And it's no different than in 2013. Because when we look at God's word, God says, I'm the one that created marriage. I'm the one that created us as human or created you as human beings. And I've given these principles because in that lies the blessing. In that, when you follow my ways, there's the blessing. And then it reflects who God is. And in verse 30, therefore, I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites each to his service 
and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at the appointed times. Again, worship was restored. Now, if simply making a covenant and making a decision were enough to hold us, this would have held them. Do you remember in Nehemiah chapter 12, the last chapter that we went through, the full chapter, they made a covenant saying, God, we will follow you, we will obey you, we will do these things. Nehemiah goes away and he comes back and what did they do? They went right back to the same thing. So my signing my name on a piece of paper does not mean that I will be faithful. My, um, my covenant, my desire, I'm God, from today on, I'm just going to follow you for the rest of my life. I can't make the decision for the rest of my life today. I can make the decision for today to have that attitude, but tomorrow, guess what? I have to do it again. You know what I have to do the next day? I have to do it again. You know what I have to do the next day? I got to do it again. Jesus says, whoever desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it is great. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. It is great when there's pledges, when you know there might be uh, times when people come forward to sign a document baptism is kind of like a covenant between God saying, God, I'm going to live for you, not for myself. I, I, could res- I could stand up and say, God, I'm going to follow you. But you know what? Tomorrow I have to continue to walk with God. That abiding relationship is something that Nehemiah wanted to bring them back to. And I want to close with this. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to worship, the message today, this rest and marriage and the Sabbath It all has to do with worship. The bottom line is this. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so if I'm saying you're Lord in 90% of the areas of my life, but in 10%, I rule. In 10%, I call the shots. I make the decisions. What I'm saying is that you're Lord, but really I'm Lord because I'm deciding how much to give you, how much to surrender. And so when it comes to worship, let's worship him with Sabbath. Make time to just spend with the Lord, to get away, to rest. And what that looks like, it is all his time. It's not like, okay, Sunday morning, that's God's time. I've heard people say that before. And it is true. It is God's time, but so is Monday So it's Friday night. So it's Saturday night. It's all God's time. So when it comes to Sabbath, we need to uh, understand that when I rest and when I work, Lord, it's all yours. And in Sabbath, rejoice. You know, Sabbath is, is feasting. Sabbath is a great time. Sabbath is where we were rejuvenated. It's where we get energy, where we get life. It's where we get focus. It's where we draw near to the Lord. So rejoice in it. And then in Sabbath, one practical application, uh, Nate Holdridge does something with uh, his kids, um, his family. He calls it Amish Fridays. So Friday, they unplug. No cell phone, no email, no computers. And what they do is they do Amish Fridays where that Friday night is just this family night and they just kind of hang out. They play games. They go outside. They go for walks. They talk about things because we're so busy. We're running to and fro, and sometimes we don't have time for just those those good relationships. When it comes to marriage, in your singleness, your singleness is the Lord's as well. Lord, you are the Lord of my singleness. And so if you are single, say, God, what you want to do in my life, I, I give my life to you, and allow him to bless you and draw near to him. In marriage, um, again, so many times I, I hear people walk away from marriage because they say, I'm just not happy anymore. Just not happy. Well, you know what? Just hold on. Just hold on. Just have faith. Statistically, marriages that hold on after that breaking point where they're about ready to break up two years down the line say that we are so much happier because of it. Our marriage is so much better off and in relationships giving those to the Lord. And so we are going to spend this time um, closing in, in, in worship And we want to respond to the message. So when we sing, we're singing because it's something that God has done in our lives. Uh, We are going to respond in giving. If you're visiting, um, then then welcome, and you're never expected to give. And then even if you uh, come regularly, and this is your home church, never give out of guilt or compulsion. Why do we give? We give out of worship. 
We give out of gratitude. We give because we trust God. Just like the Sabbath in the Old Testament, they had to trust God with their finances. We say, God, we trust you. We ask God that we would be good stewards. We also respond in communion. And in a moment, I'm going to have you come up after um, the, the first song. The ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering. And then afterwards, I'm going to have you come and take the bread and the cup back to your own seat. And today, we're going to do it this way. I want you to spend time with the Lord. I want you to think about this message. I want you to consider in your own life what this means. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. The cup represents Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. Um, and the way that it works is that there's a little piece of bread underneath the cup. If you're, you know, the first time I looked at it, I was trying to figure it out. And uh, there's the bread and there's the cup. If you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, what that means is that you're surrendering to God. And you're saying, God, forgive me. Because I know that I need a Savior. And you understand that sacrifice. Communion is for God's people. If you don't feel led to participate in communion, then, then don't. If you don't want to receive his grace, there's no one forcing you to do it. Don't do it because other people are going to do it. But I want to share with you, if you've never received communion before understanding what it signifies, let today be that day where you open up your heart to the Lord and you receive Christ. And your rest comes in what God has done. Don't think, well, I just, I'm not ready yet. Why aren't you ready? Well, because I have to go out and live a good life first. The thief on the cross didn't have time to go live a good life. He simply surrendered to Jesus right there. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. So let's pray. Let's worship the Lord. And we'll um, have the ushers come forward in a moment to receive the offering. And then after that, just spend that time with the Lord. And, and none of us is worthy, by the way, to receive communion, right? It's only because of what Jesus has done. That's what it means to partake in a worthy manner. When we understand, I don't deserve this. But Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And uh, I want to receive this communion. And then when you're ready during this time of worship, you go ahead and partake on your own. And then uh, I'll come up at the end and, and close in prayer. So, Father, today we thank you. Lord, the book of Nehemiah has been uh, a great book. We, we thank you for this brother named Nehemiah. Lord, he prayed, remember me, oh my God, for this good that I've done for you, for, for the temple, for your people. And Lord, we thank you that you remembered him because we have his name recorded for us. We're reading this book. We see the things that he's done. And Lord, I pray that we would take these words to heart because God, I know that when it comes to worship, when it comes to you being Lord of all, uh, Father, I, I know that that is a daily moment by moment thing. Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as the Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation that they would step forward to receive communion and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may they understand the joy that comes, the peace that is there, the forgiveness that we receive. And then, Father, for those of us that are your followers, your, uh, your people that are called by your name, Lord, we want to worship you in song. We want to worship you in giving and tithes and offerings. Lord, we want to worship you in obedience. And so we pray that you'd bless this time of communion. That, Lord, we would draw near to you. And that you would draw near to us. And we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.